of a myriad of other things in your life. It's the root issue of um, contentment, of what your affections are for. It's the root issue of cycles of sin. It's the root issue of relational harmony. (laughs) And all of these things, because ultimately, when we have misplaced or inordinate affections where we're called to crucify our affections and our passions and desires, and instead when we're making excuses and justifying and coddling all of our affections and desires, instead of understanding rightly how we are to process and how we are to handle them, then our whole entire life is affected from this place of the seat of our affections. And so we're going to look at a couple of these things biblically today. So first and foremost, if you want to turn to Colossians 3, chapter 2. Um, As a teenager, if you've been around here um, any amount of time, you know that as a very young person, I started walking with the Lord. Um, So through your teenage years, as you have like hormones developing, that's like the the time when most people are exploring sexuality. If you know anything about me, I'm an absolute anomaly. Instead of exploring my sexuality, I was reading this passage of scripture. (laughs) Set your affections on things that are above, not on things of this earth. That was the reality of me when I was 16, 17, 18. Very, very different reality, but I will say this to you. Is this passage of scripture that we're going to read today, all of us need to come to a place that it becomes a living reality in our life. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. So depending on what translation you have, Some translations say, set your mind, set your mind. Uh, The New King James Version, I know the King James Version would say, set your affections, because if you're going to study the original Greek, it's the word affections. So set your affections on things that are above, not on things of this earth. How many of us are living this reality in our life? When we get up in the morning, we're setting our affections on things that are above, not on things that are upon the earth, or lowly things. It goes on to say, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So first and foremost, we see this is the instruction that you are given for your affections. What you're called to do is to set your affections on things that are above where Christ is seated in heavenly places. That means that your affections should be consumed with heavenly realities. I know all of you logical thinkers are like, oh, she's one of those people. She's so heavenly minded. She's no earthly good. You know, like that was like the saying when we were growing up. Don't be so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. You know, the problem is, though, we've gone to, like, such an extreme where we're so earthly-minded, you are actually of no worth to the kingdom because we're so carnally-minded. But do you want to know something? That if we're heavenly-minded, it it doesn't make us no earthly good. If we're truly heavenly-minded, it should make us that much more effective and that much more people that are kingdom-minded to labor for the purposes of the kingdom. So set your affections on things that are above. What does this mean? This literally means like the seat of your emotions. 
It means like what you're meditating on, what you're thinking about, what you're passionate towards, what you're desirous of. It means kind of like what moves you. And so some of us, obviously, we go to a very emotional place of relationships and sexuality, which that is included in all of this. But for some of us, it's an issue of finance. We wake up in the morning trying to figure out, how can I make more money? How can I make more money? How can I make more money? Like we live in that. Or some of us, it's kind of like, oh, I'm ending one conquest of a degree. What's my next conquest? Like I need a next thing. I need a next mission. I need a next goal. I have to do something, be something. Many people wake up in the morning very driven for kind of who am I? What am I to become? What do I do with my life? Not from a place of rest. And, you know, I'm going to give you a very practical, I mean, this is like the most practical, silly, it'll just let you live into my little silly life. <laughs> uh, one of, like, where I can see a good picture of this in my life, how many, some, most of you have been to my house, a lot of you have been to my house. I live in a little 900 square foot bungalow. I love it. I love it. I actually love my little house. <laughs> I honestly, like, I walk around it going, I don't think I ever want to live anywhere else. Like, even if I hit the lotto, like, I love it. Like, I might just add a room, <laughs> you know. Um, 900 square foot bungalow. That's really all you need when you have one kid. So <laughs> as we're in the process of adopting, maybe we'll buy a bigger house. But right now, we don't need a, a bigger house. So we live in this little 900 square foot bungalow. It's great. <laughs> the one thorn in my flesh is the bathroom. Like, we've never updated the bathroom. So everything else has been like, God bless my husband. He's handyman. So floors get replaced. Backsplashes get done. You know, he does all the things. So he did that when we moved in, in eight, nine years ago. But we never touched the bathroom. <clears throat> so just to give you a good visual, the bathroom has blue tile floor, blue. And when I say blue, I mean blue. I don't mean like there's a hue of it. It's blue. It's like blue, unmistakably. But the tile, I think whoever tiled it, they didn't use grout, I don't think. I think they used concrete, I think. I think that's what happened. Because, like, no matter how much I clean it, it just stays, like, dirty concrete. But <laughs> for those of you that know me, I don't use chemicals, but I did resort to Comet. So I was like, Comet will bleach the sucker out of this thing. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't at all. But I just found that it actually gave it a chalky look to whiten it a little. So when my friends come over, I actually say either it's going to look super dirty, it's because I cleaned it and I washed all the Comet off, or it's going to have like, a, it's going to look like grout, it's because I left the Comet there as an illusion. And so like, <laughs> these are my little illusionary things to make my bathroom like floor not be so. But then in addition to that, it has an avocado green tub. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> Um, you know, and all the things, like an old little vanity that's like has rusted hardware. Um, I'm painting a nice picture for you, aren't I? And then my, my porcelain sink has a crack in it, and several things are just not working. All that to say, I decided to paint, so it has beautiful wainscoting. Do you guys know what wainscoting is? It's the woodwork that goes high up. Very nice. But it used to be dark brown. So, like, you had the dark brown, and then you had the blue, and then you had the green, and, you know, you just had all the things happening. Oh, and the previous owner had the woodwork of the door orange. Wow. So, it was... <laughs> mm. <laughs> all the things. So, this is... I was... This was a couple months ago. I was like, what is within my power? I can paint. <laughs> I can paint. No, I didn't paint the floor. I have talked about that, but haven't done it yet. Um... I painted it, and so my brother came over one day, and mind you, for those of you that are like horrified right, right now, you're like, her, her, her bathroom, it actually doesn't look that bad because I have an ability to then find a shower carton that's complimentary 
like, and somehow tie everything in so it's just not as offensive. <laughs> um, so my brother came over, and he, <laughs> oh, and then his girlfriend, they, like, they literally were like, wow, your bathroom looks awesome. And I'm like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, it looks great. They're like, we love those. And they're like, talking about, like, how great my, and I was like, is this like a sympathy drop? Like, you feel bad? Like, poor Bethany. <laughs> like, she needs a bathroom reno. Let's, no, and my brother's like, no, he's like, the white woodwork and the, and I realized one of the things is, is that when you're focused on something, it becomes very exaggerated to you. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Very exaggerated. Disproportionately exaggerated. And do you want to know something? I'm not here anymore, praise the Lord. <laughs> but I have gone through seasons, like over the last years, where like as I'm looking at all the things in my bathroom, I'm like, oh, I should get a side hustle. Like, <laughs> I should get a side hustle or make my husband get a side hustle so we can afford a bathroom reno. Or, you know, you start getting into all of these things of kind of like, I need a new tub, and if I'm going to get one, it would be nice to have a soaker, like one I could actually soak in so my whole body's covered by the water. That's amazing. You know, like all of those things. But you know what? You begin to focus on those things, and all of a sudden you're trying to like align your life and your time and your priorities and ultimately your emotions are caught up in a place of I need this and now this is what I'm setting my emotions around then I find I'm like disgruntled I'm kind of like mm, 900 square feet I don't like the bungalow I hate the bathroom I need a second floor I want a pool you know like <laughs> it sends you in this like massive snowball effect of all the and you know I'd like a new pair of boots too and I want to start getting my hair colored every week. You know, like, all of the things that you do not have that you do not want. You know what's crazy? It's crazy. When I glance at my green tub and I start going, mm, I need to do a bathroom redo. You know, when I start that whole thing. And then when I think about, you know what? The reason I don't have a side hustle is number one, I'm in the ministry. And number two, I homeschool my kids. Those are two things I feel called to do. When I go back to, why am I in the ministry again? Is it really worth this? <laughs> you know, when you ask those questions, then when I'm reminded that my one desire in the earth, I could have a brand new bathroom. I could have an in-ground pool. My one desire in the earth is to stir and awaken appetite for Jesus in the heart of a generation. Guess what? Suddenly I don't really care about the bathroom anymore. Suddenly I'm kind of like, oh, I understand why I have the life and the priorities and the time and the investment of where I'm sewing. Hear me, if you've got a fancy bathroom, that's awesome. No judgment on you. And you also probably have a heart to stir affection and desire and hunger in the heart of a generation. I'm not comparing those things. What I'm saying is for my little life, and my little lane that I have to stay very focused and not compare. So for all of you that are kind of like, wait, I got the bathroom, but I do. No, that's cool. That is cool. As long as, haha, as long as the root issue of your affections are set on things that are above. Because you know what else I love? I also just went to Hawaii. And that's not something that we would be doing on our budget, going to Hawaii for the second time in two years. Do you want to know there's another principle in the word of God that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these things will be added unto you. Guess what? It is not our role to be seeking after people, position, things, titles, possessions. 
that will rob your soul. It is our calling to seek first the kingdom of God, constantly bringing our life and our priorities, our desires, our passions, our affections into alignment with seeking first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things. Guess what? God can add a trip to Hawaii because you teach for five days first, but then you vacation after. (laughs) God can add your big house. God can add your car. God can add your spouse. But it comes from a place of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is what we find here, is this place of set your affections, set your mind, set your meditation, set your emotions. You know, you you can have marital problems, but all of a sudden when you start setting your affections on things that are above, all of a sudden they don't feel so big or so overwhelming because you've had a little taste of heaven. Most of us, our disgruntledness is because we're not heavenly-minded enough. And you actually need more of an encounter with the presence of God. So this word affections here means to be mindful. Pay close attention to. What are you paying close attention to? The stock market? I mean, I'm not judging anybody here. I've actually been researching mutual funds and index funds. (laughs) I do it, and then my mind's boggled, and I'm like, oh. (laughs) Like I said, there's no place. But... The place is being more mindful of heavenly things and of Christ and fixing your affections there. Be mindful. Pay close attention to. Be careful. Um, An affection of the mind. A passionate desire. This is interesting. This is so interesting. If you study the original Greek, it literally means the place of like your midriff. That there's a place of tender affection there. And you know, for some of you, you're like, I don't get that. Okay, let me bring it down to you here. This is the place where you're watching something on TV or on your little Insta story things, and it evokes a place of affection or tenderness in one way or another. Oftentimes that can be sexual, but also we have a very large single population, so I'm just going to talk to you for a moment. The issue of your affections, actually let's talk to the married folk as well, because ultimately your affections should be reserved for one person once you're married, but you forever live in the place of guarding your affections. I'm going to give you this understanding. The Song of Solomon, you you can look it up another day, another time, don't have time today, but Song of Solomon is ultimately this understanding of the, uh, the, the bridegroom and the bride. And we are the bride, and Christ is the bridegroom, right? It's speaking of, I love this language. This is the greatest place you'll ever understand affections. It's speaking of the issue of consecration and affections. And in it, it says, I am a garden enclosed and a spring that is shut up. Do you want to know what that means? It literally means that it's a garden it's a place of beauty. It's a place of, um, a place of rest. But it's fenced in. And the garden is enclosed. That literally means the garden is locked. And you know what that actually symbolizes in that passage? It symbolizes that only the king could have access into the garden and walk. And then also that understanding of a fountain sealed, it literally means it's a fountain with drinking water so that anybody technically could come and drink and receive refreshing and receive life and partake from that. But a fountain sealed literally means it's sealed and it's consecrated and only the king can drink from that fountain. 
And so for those of us as single people, but also as married people, this is the ultimate understanding of our affections, is that there's places in us emotionally and spiritually and mentally, the place of our soul, that is to be reserved for Christ alone. For him to walk and for him to travel. And for some of you, you're kind of like, okay, this is all in the realm of like emotion. Don't make it sound like you don't get the emotional realm. When you come onto an airplane, <laughs> we all do this. Before we ever like talk to the person we're going to sit to, we're like, okay, I'm 25B, 25, 25, And then we scope up like, who's at 25A? I'm sitting next to that person. You get a sense of like, oh, it's Krabby Pants. I'm going to sit next to Krabby Pants for the whole ride. Or you're like, oh, it's Chatterbug. <laughs> next to Chatterbug, oh, you know, or you're kind of like, oh, it's Perv Man, <laughs> like, you know, all of those things, <laughs> you definitely have a sense of like, oh, because that, you know what it is, is we are spiritual beings, all of you are like totally laughing, you're like, that. yeah, I totally get that on the plane, I do that, I size the person up, I'm like, Ugh. I mean, that's before the person ever says anything, but do you want to know even as like single people or married people? When we walk around, we either walk around with a sense of, actually, I'm a garden enclosed. Emotionally, there's places that you cannot traffic or travel and that are not open for you to access. But they're guarded and they're reserved and they're preserved. And an even greater word would be consecrated to God alone. But then you have the opposite, whether it's single or married people, walking around that are like, I'm an open garden. <laughs> like, come to my garden. <laughs> Please, someone come to my garden. You know. <laughs> and you guys, some of you are like, what is she talking about? You know it when you encounter the person that you immediately feel like they're like the crab that's like, ha, a friend. <laughs> I got you not, not letting go. Like, they, they're like that emotionally, even though they don't say it. You're just like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> they got me and they're not letting me go. Or you encounter the person that you're like, oh, I might like to get to know this person. You start to talk to him, and you're like, oh, I can't. Mm, mm, come on, like, open something for me, brother. Like, you know, you know, some amount of openness. We all walk around with those realities. We all walk around with that place of emotional traffic. You either have a lot of emotional traffic <laughs> running through your garden. Or you're someone that has learned to reserve your affections for where they are appropriately to be given and sown and yielded and surrendered. And that's the place of health that all of us have to come to. So this passage where it says, set your affections on things that are above, not on things of this earth. I'm just going to give you, ooh, time. I'm going to give you guys a couple, actually I need water, hmm. Here's a couple of examples of this. Um, so I guess, you know, we're ending this affection series. And what I'm going to kind of narrow this down to is three ways that after this series that we can be people that fight for. Because it is something you have to fight for. Like you don't just like win it in the area of your affection and then all the days of your life you just have a burning heart for Jesus. Like, it's one of those things that you have to continually, like, as the Apostle Paul said, take every thought captive. Like, there's a place of maintaining your emotional health, which that comes by being in the presence of God 
and being able to process through disappointment and hurt and confusion and pain and process all of that so it's washed away and you don't carry it into a new day. So ultimately, first and foremost, what we see in Set Your Affections on Things That Are Above is that we are to be looking un unto the beauty of Jesus. Our singular need is the presence of God and a continual encounter with him. I want you to repeat, repeat after me. A continual encounter with him. You need, more than Sunday morning, being like, oh, worship's like heaven. You need a continual encounter with the presence of God. And where do we find this in scripture? Um, Psalms 27. You get, most of you are probably familiar with this. This is the psalmist David. One thing I will ask, one thing I will seek, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Do you hear the language of that? One thing I will ask. Not for a promotion. Not for a better position. Not for a new residence. Not for greater wealth. One thing I will ask. And that one thing will I seek. That I might behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. What if we as a corporate body came to the place that our one ask of the Lord was to behold the beauty of the Lord? What if you came to a place that the next 40 days you were fasting and praying and your one ask, your one ask was to behold the beauty of the Lord. Do you want to know, I personally believe the greatest need in our generation, many people could say multiple things. They could be like, our generation needs to be delivered. Our generation has addiction. Our generation, you know, all, like, all these things. I firmly believe our one need as a generation is to get a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. Do you know that it would remedy <laughs> a thousand lesser loves in your life? You know, I shared with you guys earlier that as a teenager, this was kind of the passage of scripture in Colossians 3, 2, of uh, praying, of I'll set my affections on things that are above. But can I say something to you? I, because of the context I was raised in, the mother I had, the church, whatever you want to boil it down to, I definitely had an understanding that it was not about the issues of outward sin in my life. It was about the issue of my heart. And I'm going to give, if you've been around any amount of time, you've heard this story. But there was one point in time I was in a, a corporate prayer meeting, and I was repenting for something. I was, like, I mean, weeping and broken and repenting before the Lord for my sin, which was sin. But as I was in lament and mourning and repenting and all of these things, and it was good and it was healthy, I so clearly heard the voice of God say, that's not what I'm grieved over. And I remember thinking, like, eh you know, like it should be what you're grieved over. And do you want to know something? What happened was, is when I replied to the Lord and I said, okay, then what is it that you're grieved over? I heard him respond to me and say, I was grieved when you left the place of abiding in me. He was going to the root issue. I was looking at the external like, oops, I did that again. Oh, when will I ever be free? 
And he was basically saying, that's not my point of greatest concern. My point of greatest concern is I want relationship with you. You were in a place of abiding with me. And if you had remained there, that was your place of safety. See, that's the thing that we don't understand. All of these external things that you focus upon and all these external things, that's not even what God's eyes are upon. He's not looking at you going, oh, you're filthy fornicator. Yeah, you're filthy, you know, alcoholic. He's not looking at that. He's looking and going, I see the condition of your heart and you have a poverty of your soul that you need me. You need more of who I am. He has compassion and he has mercy and he's looking at the heart saying, just come to me. Just come to me and then keep coming to me and come to me again and come to me again and then keep coming to me. And guess what? Somehow all of those internal, uh, external things, just one day you wake up and they're not there. And I'm not saying that it doesn't involve a, a measure of resisting sin and all of those things. But what I'm saying is that is resisting sin when we refuse to settle in it, but saying I'm going after the very root. I don't want just behavior modification on the outside. I don't want, you know, if it's a porn addiction, it's not a matter of you having to set all the boundaries and the restraints and all the accountability and all the, you know, never alone in a room with a computer, but a place where you have freedom inwardly. That your affections burn for something so much greater. That you have seen the beauty of Jesus. And guess what? When you see the beauty of Jesus, every other temptation, you can see it rightfully as it is, as a counterfeit beauty. No longer beautiful. No longer attractive. If we're struggling with cycles and issues of sin in our life, you know what it is? Is it's still attractive to us. There's still a place where it's desirable to us. But when we see him rightly, we see clearly and we see all things in the light of him. And therefore, that sin is no longer attractive because it has no more alluring power. You know, it was interesting. I was speaking somewhere, and I ended up talking to a woman that works for um, Derek Prince Ministry, and I loved the analogy that she shared. She was talking about how um, it was a ministry that, that basically people were sharing testimonies of coming out of homosexuality. But this one person's testimony was that whenever they were like, okay, God, like, I, and she would call it A. Like, she wasn't calling it homosexuality, but she was like, I want to I deal with this. Like, this is like the big, big, big thing in my life. I want to get rid of that. And whenever she would want to focus on that issue of sexual brokenness, God would actually say, actually, I want to focus on B. There's something over here I'm looking at. And God would walk her through an area of healing or forgiveness or whatever. And then she'd be like, okay, fine, fine. I didn't even know that was there. But now I want to focus on A. I want to get over this thing right here. I want, I want that gone. And then God was like, actually, I have this concern with C. C is something I want to put my hand on. I want to touch it. I want to heal it. I want you free. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I didn't even know I had that. <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was like a thing. Okay, now that we've walked through that, let's focus on A. This is my big thing. This is like my kingpin thing, you know. This, this young woman walked through a series of the Lord just highlighting. You know what happened was, is she said that as she got several points in the alphabet <laughs> that she thought were insignificant issues in her life, she said all of a sudden she realized A 
which was her obsession, was just completely gone. She doesn't know how, she doesn't know when, she doesn't know where, but it was just like dissolved. And see, that's the issue right there, is like we're so focused on A, or the, the certain sin that we can pinpoint that we think is the debilitating factor, and God's going, actually, no, that's just the fruit. That's just the fruit of a root that's there, and that's what I'm after. And if for all of us, if instead of focusing on the external things of our life, if we would continually go and ask God, I want the totality of my heart, every chamber of my heart, every desire of my heart, every emotion of my heart, every passion of my heart, every affection of my heart to burn for you. When we would continually seek to go after the place of the affections of the heart, we would find freedom and liberty in so many other places in our life as a byproduct of that. So we have the Psalmist David who said, one thing I ask, one thing I will seek to behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to challenge you, begin to ask that of the Lord, that you would behold his beauty. Um, for those of you that are familiar, Luke 11, um, when Jesus was teaching them how to pray, his instruction to them was to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Our model for prayer is found in the Our Father. That ultimately all of us in our communication and in our relationship with Christ, we need to begin in the place of, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Because when we get a revelation of holy is your name, when we get a revelation of our Father who loves us unconditionally, who is committed to us, who has great passionate affection for his children, who is jealous for his children's freedom and liberty and wholeness, all of those things, when we pray from that place, it changes everything. If we'll begin from that place of a revelation of our Father, who art in heaven. That is ultimately what Paul was saying. That you'd set your affections on things that are above. How many of you, when you even begin to pray in your own prayer closet, you don't even begin by setting your affections on things that are above. You begin with your list of I need, I want, and get rid of this. <laughs> you know, we kind of have our list. What if you change it up? Our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Just park it there for a while and see what changes emotionally and spiritually and mentally and chemically inside of you. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. And then Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lie aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's just look at that language. Before we get to my point of this passage, let us lay aside every sin and weight that so easily ensnares us. We have to understand that sin is what ensnares. Sin is not what we should be justifying, excusing, coddling, getting our, you know, programs together of why it's okay and it's no longer defined as a sin in 2019. You know, all of those things are, you need a better theology of understanding sin and it's destroying power in your life so that you can wage war against it instead of it being a friend of yours that you embrace and excuse and hide. You should have all that war on sin in your life. Not shame, not condemnation, but in strength, standing against it and opposing it because it has crippling, destroying power. 
Lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Ha-ha! How do we run with endurance the race that is set before us? Looking unto Jesus. You will never be able to run with endurance the race that is set before you. Unless you learn the discipline, the reality of looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus here literally means setting your mind on things that are above. Setting your affections, setting your desires, setting your emotions, setting your ambitions, setting your passions on things that are above. If you're wondering why can't I run this race with endurance, this race is hard, it's because you're not looking upon Jesus. I guarantee you this morning, if you would change the posture from looking at yourself, ha, sorry, that's where most of us are, looking at ourselves, looking at others, if my husband would just, if my pastor would just, if my mother would just, if my roommate would just, if, you know, you want everybody else to do it, be it, get it, ha, ha. No, you need to come to a place that regardless of anybody else's reality or action or grievances or injustices against you, you are able to look unto Jesus. And that is going to be the place that you find freedom and liberty and strength and endurance. I have 15 minutes. Wow. Okay, Galatians 5.24. <laughs> We're just going to plow through it. You guys are all like, oh no, 15 more minutes. <laughs> That's great. All right, we're going to do last points in 15 minutes. And I'm at the age where I need bifocals. Um, <clears throat> Galatians 5, let's see what the shadows. It is Galatians 5.24, but I think I'm going to start sooner. I'm going to start in 22. <clears throat> But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Hmm. Here we go. Here's our key verse for today. And those that are Christ, I want you to repeat after me. It's good to use our mouths in church. And those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, so those who belong to Christ, can I just ask the question? What happens if we don't crucify our flesh with its passions and desires? He doesn't own us. And I, and I mean in the sense of he doesn't own us. Meaning he wants possession of our passions and desires. This, this word here, passions, in the Greek actually is affections. There you go. There's that word again. Affections and desires. The place of our affections and our desires. This particular word for affections <clears throat> actually means a place of, actually, I'm going to read to you guys um, just for sake of time. I have to move through this quickly, but I do want you to hear. Matthew Henry actually says this about this passage of scripture. He um, he says, this informs us that this is the sincere care and endeavor of all real Christians. That those that are Christ, they say, says he, 
those that are Christians indeed, not only in show and in profession, but in sincerity and truth, have crucified the flesh with its affections and its lusts. As in their baptism, they were obliged thereunto, for being baptized under Christ, they have been baptized into his death, Romans 6, 3. So they are now sincerely employing themselves therein in conformity to their Lord and head and are endeavoring to die unto sin as he has died for their sin. They have not yet obtained a complete victory over it. They, they have still flesh as well as spirit in them, and that has its affections and its lust, which continue to give them disturbance. But it does not now reign in their mortal bodies as they should obey it in its lusts. So they are seeking the utter ruin and destruction of those passions and lusts, and to be put in the same shameful um, shame, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Shame, okay. Uh, that which Christ our Lord Jesus underwent for his sake. Note, if we should approve ourselves to be Christ, such as are united in him and interested in him, we must make it our constant care. Say constant care. And business to crucify the flesh with its corrupt affections and lusts. Christ will never own those as his, own, as his own who yield themselves to be servants of sin. Our Christianity obliges us not only to die unto sin, but to live unto righteousness. Not only to oppose the works of the flesh, but to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we see from this passage of scripture is that one of the other ways for us to, to say, sustain our affections, that our affections would be towards Christ, is the pursuit of wholeheartedness. And I'm going to define this for you because let's just say in our generation, holiness has to be redefined. There is a lack of understanding of what the Bible says about it. There's a lack of reverential fear and awe. There's a lack of, we have a disregard because ultimately we don't understand the holiness of God. And when I say holiness, I'm going to say this to you. For whatever your translation or experience, I'm so sorry if you've been raised in a legalistic home where that means outward conformity and you have to appear a certain way. But I'm going to say, number one, it's an issue of wholeheartedness. That Christ is after your whole heart. He is jealous for your whole heart. And I'm going to give you a couple of passages of scripture Regarding that, first and foremost, Matthew 23, 25 through 28, this is actually where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, and he's basically saying, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you cleanse the outside of the cup, but you're actually supposed to cleanse the inside of the cup. It goes on to actually talk about being full of dead men's bones. Over and over and over again, we find the teachings of Jesus as he was going after the heart. He was saying, I am not looking for your works and your performance. I'm looking for your heart. That's what we find all throughout the message of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons for our low moral standard is our lack of awareness of the majesty of God and of our accountability towards him. What is sin? Sin is any word, thought, or deed that is not in conformity to the law of God. Sin is lawlessness. God's law is the standard that we must live by. Let's be honest. When we read that definition of sin, most of us are like, ugh, I don't live according to like the full law of God. Let me just say something to you. None of us does. 
Do you know that uh, when you read the, the passage of Scripture about Judgment Day, this is terrifying right here. When you read the passage of Scripture about uh, Judgment Day, it, when it talks about separating the sheep from the goats, most of us are kind of like, ooh, my goat or my sheep. <laughs> you know, like we're kind of the standard of Jesus. Jesus stands, he doesn't like pick out, well, you were a fornicator, you used drugs, you, you're, you're, going, you're going on the goat side. That wasn't how he determined, he, and he wasn't like, well, you're a sheep because you attended church every Sunday and you led a small group. <laughs> you know what he did? This is scary. He separated the sheep from the goats, and when he looked at the goats, he said, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you did not give me drink. When I was in prison, you did not visit me. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. Do you hear the language of that? He's not basically saying there's something you did that was sinful. He's saying there's something I called you to, to acts of righteousness, and you neglected the acts of righteousness. See, his standard is so utterly and entirely different than ours. But then to the sheep, he said... When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And oftentimes, we're so caught up in the externals of what we are and what we aren't doing. He's so after the heart. And can I say something to you? If he has our heart, he has all of those other things. The the areas of sin are just going to dissolve and unravel in our lives. And works of righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit will be the fruit of a heart that is after him. We should be continually praying, I want to be wholehearted towards you. Any place that my whole heart is not after you, that our hearts would burn for him in entirety. Um... trying to figure out for sake of time what's the best thing to do. I'm going to read you guys a couple passages of scripture super quickly, and then we're going to just close out with a word of prayer. Um, Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Ultimately, when we lack holiness in our life, we need more of the fire of God. Because this language of our God is an all-consuming fire that we find in Scripture. Consuming fire is re- un- it's unrelenting. It's relentless. It overtakes everything in its pathway. And that is ultimately a picture of internally what our life should be, is a blazing inferno with passion and love for Jesus. When we're talking about this series of affections, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the inward place of our life burning for more of him. If you want to understand very simplistically what holiness is, you can see it in the issue of the covenant of marriage. Because ultimately what holiness is, is it's being consecrated. Consecrated to one. And in this case, when we're talking about this, we're talking about saying consecrated to Christ. But let me just say something to you, friends. There's a twofold, and you can even see this with the word holiness. The word holiness, actually, I'll just give this to you super quickly. Um, there's Kadesh and there's Kadesh. Basically, Kadesh is the uh, holiness, which means to be apart, to be sacred, to be separate. 
Kadesh means to consecrate, to sanctify, to dedicate, and to be holy. When you stand at a marriage altar and you say your vows, you're being consecrated to one person. That consecration means two things. It's saying, I'm committing my life wholly to you. I'm giving my life only to one. But it also means, and it's in our wedding vows, but in committing my life to you, I am forsaking all others. That's what we actually find in this understanding of this word holiness. Is It's not simply dedicating ourselves to him. It's we dedicate ourselves to Christ, but then what we actually do is we, we forsake all other competing things. Competing affections that would seek to rob us of having a heart that is holy after him. Do you know the entirety of our life in this world, in this culture, it, it ultimately is set up with competing affections. I mean, some of it's, it's food. We just have a fascination with like restaurants and flavors and tasting and, you know, all of these. I mean, there's so many things that we end up with in, in, in our culture, in our society, in our Christian experience, it's completely acceptable here in the U.S. Whereas in other cultures, in other expressions, where Christianity does not take the same form that it does here, it would be seen as extreme materialism and carnality, gluttony. It would be seen as um, a host of other things that we can find in Scripture. But in our context, it becomes very palatable and comfortable. So those are the two understandings of holiness. Is number one, we're consecrating ourselves to other uh, one, one, but we're also doing the work of separating ourselves and forsaking all others that would compete with our affection toward that one. <clears throat> I think we're actually going to just stop on that point. And I'm just going to... With that point, we'll just pause it there. And then lastly, it's rightly categorizing pain and hardship. That word for affections, literally the, the actual meaning of it um, in the Greek in that passage actually means that which we suffer or have suffered externally, misfortune, calamity, evil, affliction. Um, it's that place of understanding suffering. And one of the most consistent things that with us as individuals, that if we want affections that are cultivated and burning for Jesus, we have to be people that can rightly process pain and disappointment. That we can rightly categorize it, process it, and give it before Christ because ultimately those will become the stumbling blocks of our life that hinder affection for Jesus. Most of you guys are familiar with, and it's not really common in our culture to highlight these kind of passages of scripture, but 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3 through 6, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules and the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, the language of this is not people that are living comfortable lives of ease and safety. Sojourners and pilgrims were in a foreign land where everything was unfamiliar and they could not find home because we as believers are not supposed to find sanctuary here. 
As uh, beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our souls. So as we move from this affection series, I want us to understand first and foremost that this issue of our affections, that it's a place of actively guarding our affections and cultivating affections for Christ. And that more than any outward works, that we as a community of people have to take the posture of having hearts that are wholeheartedly after him. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to pray over us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this community of people. God, I thank you for the um, extraordinary work, Father, that you're doing in our midst. God, I thank you, Father, for the way that you are leading us and guiding us and shepherding us. And Lord, we ask, God, that even today, God, as we have looked at these passages of Scripture, Lord, I ask you over this community of people, Lord, that we truly would have burning hearts of love. Lord, that our one and only aim as Hilltop Church would have burning hearts of love, Lord, towards you. And God, we thank you, Father, that in turn, Lord, that produces fruits of righteousness. Lord, that in turn, that makes us more loving towards one another and more compassionate. And God, I ask, Father, that even as we looked at this passage of scripture, that Jesus instructed us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, holy as is your name. Lord, I ask, Lord, for every individual under the sound of my voice, God, that even throughout this week, Lord, that their eyes would be lifted off of themselves. Lord, that their eyes would be lifted off of other people. God, that their eyes would be lifted off of challenges and circumstances and hardship and obstacles and besetting sins and all of those things that we can consume our mind and our affections with, and instead, Lord, that we would violently, violently, Lord, lift our gaze and our affections. Lord, I ask, Lord, that as a community of people, Lord, that we truly would be those that become skillful in the place of identifying when our eyes have deviated off of you, when our eyes have turned away from you. And God, that we would be skillful in the place of continually and steadfastly disciplining ourselves to lift our eyes towards the heavens where our help comes from. Lord, I thank you, Father, that we would not be people that are obsessed with ourselves and our images or our status and our degrees and our pedigrees. Lord, that we would not be obsessed with the the faults of other people and fault-finding and judgment. But, Lord, that we would be people that truly have one obsession, one thing we would ask, one thing we would seek, that we might behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Lord, I ask God all throughout this room, God, Lord, that throughout this week, God, let there be encounters, Lord, that individuals would encounter the presence of Christ and the beauty of Christ in a way that they've ever, ever known. Lord, I thank you, Father, that their eyes would be lifted off of counterfeit lovers, counterfeit beauty, and Lord, that their eyes would behold true beauty, the man Christ Jesus, that our hearts and our affections would be won over by you, Father. Lord, we love you, Father, in all of your beauty, all of your majesty, all of your compassion, all of your tenderness, and all of your patience. Thank you that you pursue us even when we do not pursue you. Let us know our God who is a jealous God and a burning fire. Let that be a reality amongst our community. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you can take a seat for about three uh to about five more minutes, we're going to 
uh, I think, do something very exciting, um, as I always consider giving exciting. Um, and I want to start this uh, part of our service off by saying around October, I started really feeling like the Lord was leading us in a direction. And that direction I talked about, I think, a little bit in uh, the month of December, where I was hoping that we could put something together where we could translate the sermons into Portuguese and Spanish. And so um, right after I made the initial announcement of that kind of desire that the Lord placed in my heart, we had 25, just about 25 people respond to wanting to help um, uh, people who know how to speak Portuguese and Spanish. They, they, they literally locked in. There was a lot of excitement. I don't know if, about you, but 